Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cynical Podcast. We're your hosts, Will, Malika, and Clacia, and today we will be talking about Ford versus Ferrari. Ferrari. So, just a reminder, everyone, this podcast will contain spoilers for Ford versus Ferrari. And potentially any other movie, because apparently last podcast we had a spoiler for Joker. None of us realized. So what? Yeah, can't in promise. Last Christmas, there was a spoiler for Joker. Guys, it's an interconnected universe. I'm convinced. So sorry. So Ford versus Ferrari. The Ford Motor Company has hit a plateau in car sales. In search of a spark plug to rejuvenate the business, Henry Ford II sends Lee Iacocca, played by John Bernthal, to Italy in an attempt to purchase the floundering Ferrari car company. After being rebuked and insulted by Enzo Ferrari, Henry Ford II is determined to beat Ferrari at the legendary Le Mans 24-hour race in France. Ford enlists Carroll Shelby, played by Matt Damon, to build the perfect supercar with the help of his eccentric driver, Ken Miles. Shelby, the only American to have ever won the Le Mans, and Miles are determined to take down the Ferrari racing dynasty. Carol Shelby has to balance the chase of perfection developing the Ford GT with the internal pressure from Ford executive Leo Beebe to maintain an image in line with the Ford Motor Company legacy. So, guys, first impressions, what do you think? Um, so, we saw this one together, and I mentioned before that I had no idea what the movie was about. I have no idea who Carol Shelby is or was. I don't give a shit about car racing, and I enjoyed this movie, considering... Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Like I, as soon as I sat down, I was like, I don't think this is this movie's made for me, but I enjoyed it. Um, you know, we saw all saw it at the Alamo Draft House. So shout sure. out Alamo Draft House. Hashtag sponsor us, Alamo. Um, and you know, they always do such a good job like setting up the film, and I enjoyed watching it. But again, like I'm not sure if I was the core demographic for this film. True, it was very old and very white in that theater. <laughs> Very male. Say, <laughs> the most good old boys I've ever seen <laughs> in a movie theater in my life. But you know, the story itself is actually just a really cool story. Like not, it's a pretty famous story for people who know anything about cars or car sales. And for people who don't, it's really like something you probably haven't heard before. And it's actually an enjoyable story. You know, the story of a company saying, you know, fuck it, we're going way outside of what we would normally do in our company and just out of pure pride trying to make something new to take down the established order of what is the best and like chasing perfection just out of a pride and ego thing. It's not something you really see in a lot of uh, companies these days. It's similar to like how Tesla now is a company that they're just saying, you know, we're trying something brand new. We're making electric cars and we're going to make them for the everyday people. It's, it's a cool story that has obviously motivations based in business and sales. And so did this story. It started out where they were looking for something new to give Ford a new brand image. You know, why aren't they selling more cars? And people don't want to buy these boxy, middle America, boring cars. And so they're saying, you know, what can we do to just light a fire under our company image? And then using that to have like a really cool goal to chase after. Right. And Ferrari is a, has a sexy brand, right? So they're, they're trying to kind of steal a little bit of that thunder um, by entering into the race. And, you know, it's a story of that unfolds from that. 
And, you know, as I said, like, it was maybe not for me. It was very car heavy. They are talking about engines and whatnot. And I know I, I drive a Subaru and I barely know how to drive that. And so this was like, I don't you know, even have a, a driver's long... license. So I really don't know. Yeah, why. So, so, so again, like Clay and I are like, oh, cool. Now we know about, you know, these two driving legends and Ken Miles and, and Carol Shelby that we didn't know about before. Yeah, it was a really cool story. And I, and I did like the fact that it was a subject matter I had no knowledge about um, because it just kind of, I let the story unfold and I wasn't thinking about how does this actually relate to what really happened. I was just really content to see the, like these capable actors just portray these people and the, the conflicts that arose. I just really liked watching the movie. It's probably not something I would necessarily want to see again, but I, I enjoyed the experience of it. Yeah, and we chose this movie because, you know, it stars Matt Damon and Christian Bale. And already there's been some early Oscar buzz for those two people. Just articles you read online following pop culture um, websites and blogs. There's been some rumblings for both Matt Damon and Christian Bale for the Oscar buzz. Um, But the director of this movie, James Mangold, pretty mixed bag for what he's done in the past and really outside of what you'd expect for him. His two most recent feature films were the Wolverine and Logan, which is nothing like what this movie was. Yeah. He's a bit of a journeyman, right? Like he doesn't, at least from what I can tell, I've seen a few of his movies. I hadn't realized I had until we looked through his film, his filmography. Um, but he doesn't have a distinct style, like a, like a Scorsese or even a JJ Abrams, you know, lens flares. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he doesn't have a specific stamp that you go to the movie and like, wow, that's a James Mangold movie. But he's, he's clearly a very competent and capable director. He knows what he's doing. He seems to know how to work well with big names and get really good performances out of them. But yeah, this was not a movie that I was driven to see because of the director attached to it or even the subject matter. It was really, like you'd mentioned, Matt Damon and Christian Bale being the two leads. I feel like their names popped up the most in the marketing materials, which makes sense. They're the main two characters. And I I just know what I'm going to get typically from those two. And I, on the strength of that, I was interested in seeing this movie, but yeah, I'd be interested to learn if other people had any other motivations outside of it being a movie about Ford and that particular story. And it's starring Matt Damon and Christian Bale. What did you guys think of the direction? I don't really remember anything particularly outstanding about it. I think it was pretty solid. The acting was solid. But there's no moments, unlike some of the other films we've seen for this podcast, where I'm like, oh, wow, that direction was amazing. Any yeah. Anything stand out to you guys, direction-wise? No, and that's something I know we'll get into later is, you know, where does this stand as a sports movie? Because another thing that people might not be expecting is this movie has a lot more of a sports movie feel to it than you would probably expect going into it. It's very much about the car racing and the sportsmanship behind the car racing. But, you know, I had said before that what I kind of measure a sports movie buys those goosebump moments. I mean, I'm a sports fan and almost every sports movie, no matter how cheesy or predictable the ending is, gives you that moment where, you know, the team comes out on top. Yeah. For me, it's a little giant triumph. Oh, little giants. Classic. This didn't really have any of those like goosebumps moments for me. One thing I did think was cool was when they were showing some of the racing, they stabilized the camera mm, um, yes. as they were on the profile of the car. So you saw the cars shaking, but it was like stabilized on the axle of the wheels. So that was pretty cool. But other than that, it was kind of bland. You're right. Yeah. I don't it's solid more than bland. Like the, it wasn't bad direction, but it wasn't like a spectacular direction. It worked for the film. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's like the most 
amazing direction that I've ever witnessed. But I actually think that it was really good because had those specific choices, like you mentioned, well, like having that stabilizing on the axis of the car so you can see the physics of it shaking as it's driving at that speed. I think those are actually really cool choices because if someone had just shown a car zoom out real fast, it's like, that's not as interesting. So I think there were a lot of those interesting shots, but I think just because of the context of car racing, maybe a lot of people don't realize how impressive that is. Like the cutting from interior of the car. So while, you know, Christian Bale, um, Ken Miles is, you know, driving the car to what it looks like on the outside and when to do that and when the shot's wide versus when you have a tight close up on his face. I mean, it's like sound editing to me. It's like a lot of those times when they're really good, you don't notice it and you'd notice it if it was worse. That's so it's not spectacular um, cinematography and direction, but I think it's definitely more than competent. I agree with Malik. I think without it, the movie probably would have struggled under the weight of its runtime and just it, the subject matter, especially if that's not where you're there for. Um, so I think that the, the direction actually kept it really tight and there wasn't really any point in which I was like, oh, this is getting really boring. Like, it's a two and a half hour movie. And for the most part, I was like, okay, like I'm, I'm, in, I'm engaged throughout. So I think the direction played a big part in that. Yeah. Those are all great points. I just, I guess when I think of, you know, direction, you're, you're trying, you're directing the emotion of a scene. And in a movie like this, you kind of want that big well up moment at the end where it all comes together and the triumph happens. And I, I mean, Malika had the well up. She cries. This. Malika, did you cry at this movie? I cried so hard in this okay. movie. Yeah, so if anyone's <laughs> interested in knowing, I think this is three out of five of our podcast movies so far. Yeah. Three out of six. Spoiler alert, I did cry. Yeah. So, but, but to your point, well, the issue with this film is there is that big race that we've, you know, the whole movie is about the Le Mans. We finally get to it, and, you know, Christian Bale's so close to the finish line, and we, we, don't get that goosebumps moment because of the way the story is structured, because they're trying to stay so close to what actually happened. The nature of the story doesn't allow for that right. to happen. That's a good point. Yeah, so we didn't get to it in the plot summary, but for those of you who are listening and aren't going to watch the movie at the end of the race, Christian Bale is a lap and a half ahead of the field. He's going to win. Uh, they're directed from Ford Motor Company because Ford is in positions one, two, and three to slow down and wait for the other two Ford cars so they can cross the 24-hour mark all next to each other, um, and it'll be a great moment for Ford. And so Christian Bale at first decides against it, pedal to the metal, has the perfect lap, sets a lap record, then afterwards decides to be a company man and slow down, wait for the other cars, but that's actually in the end bites them in the ass and because he started a little bit further ahead at the start of the 24 hours as far as car position he actually comes in second place which instead is of first. such bullshit such bullshit and loses the chance to win a triple crown and so this is a nice segue into kind of what i think we all decided is the major theme of this movie which is dick measuring. <laughs> uh, so true. I mean, if I had to sum up the movie in two words, that w- those would be the two words. Right, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? Because it's, it, I mean, it's a bad reflection of those characters, I guess, but it made for a fun movie at times because it's just about pure pride and ego and, you know, saying, I can do it better than you and I'm going to prove it. And that's what's just driving these guys. There's not a whole lot of subtext behind these character decisions there are for each of them but nothing that's 
incredibly motivating, moving, something you wouldn't expect. It's a lot of just pride and ego. These different companies and men trying to say, I'm the best and this is how I'm going to prove it. Yeah, I mean, the moment that kicks off the central conflict of the movie, which is Ford deciding to enter their own car and they've never made a race car before into this, you know, historical race. And it's because Enzo Ferrari insulted Henry Ford's ego. It's insane because he rightly said, you're not Henry Ford. You're Henry Ford II. What a great line. Which is honestly a sick burn. Great That's a burn. Good burn. <laughs> it was a great moment when John Bernthal, who's playing Leah Iacocca, goes to Henry Ford and Henry Ford says, I want you to tell me exactly what he said. And he's like, well, he called you fat, called you pig faced. And he said, you're not Henry Ford. Yeah. And the funny you're thing Henry is Ford that second. <laughs> yeah, he didn't Alex. get mad until that third insult. Exactly. So that's how you know exactly what this is about. He was like, I don't care if this other fat guy calls me fat. I don't care about yeah. this. But the moment he questioned his, I don't know, his integrity as a Ford, that's when all bets were off. So first of all, this is also pretty crazy because I believe at some point in the right after this happens and then Lee Iacocca reaches out to Matt Damon's character, Carol Shelby, and he basically tells him that if you would like to compete in this type of race and you've never made a race car before, it's going to take you several years. And they're like, you have 90 days. So not only is this a ridiculous thing to ask, it's they're working off of an insane timeline. Hey, we've never built race cars before. You have 90 days to design, build, and like compete in a car that is unproven it's a concept it's vaporware which is like i mean everyone loves that kind of thing about you know uh these types of movies right it's like oh the thrill of the chase like can we do it and that's kind of what motivates these guys right it's like i need to prove that i'm better than this other person that i can do more than you can and like you said dick measuring basically a lot of middle-aged men trying to beat the others out in a car race like that's crux of the story right seriously and it's like everything else is just built around that you know you get a little bit of ken miles's family life you know they really want to make sure that when he wow i feel like every episode i talk about the characters who die but yeah, yeah when ken miles dies at the end in a crash two only two months after he uh, gets second place in the le mans it makes it hurt so much more because they've really built out his relationship with his wife and his son peter um, and then you get a little bit of Henry Ford's motivations, but really like the story is just about who will win this race, whose dick is bigger. It's really it. <laughs> yeah. And kind of ties into stories of redemption and stories of legacy. And those kind of go hand in hand for all of these characters. Matt Damon's character, Carol Shelby, was the first American to win the Le Mans, and he wasn't able to compete anymore because he was having heart issues and it was too risky if his beats per minute got too high. So it was about his chance at redemption still proving, you know, he won the race before. He's still the best when it comes to race cars and race car creation and driving. And it's the same thing with Henry Ford II. You know, his father established this legacy built the Model T, the first car, and this Ford company is kind of losing its legacy. It's losing in sales. It's plateauing. They're going bankrupt. And he's thinking, I'm letting down this legacy of what my you know forefathers, if you will, have built. And it's up to me to like find that redemption for not only the name Ford, but for the company Ford. 
Yeah, and we're introduced to that with a really great speech at the beginning of the movie, I think, delivered by uh, the actor that plays Henry Ford II. Because um, it starts off, you know, after you get introduced to Matt Damon's character and you kind of see him experiencing Le Mans, you learn that he can no longer race. Then cut to Michigan where Henry Ford II is walking to a factory. He tells all production line to work to stop. And he gives this really like lambasting speech to say, hey, all of you guys what the fuck? We suck now. If you don't come to me with some creative idea, something that we can use to turn, turn this around to write this ship, you might as well not come back. So that, that is already the, the driving force for Lee Iacocca and all these other guys is like, I need to prove myself to Henry Ford II. I need to prove that I can help return the Ford name to its former glory. So that's kind of what motivates a lot of this. And I thought that was a really great character introduction i almost feel like nothing else that the actor did after that could have possibly met the expectations of that opening scene because he was so commanding and so you know he, he felt like a dick but I, he's a dick i wanted to listen exactly. to by damn it and and it was really just like to me like kind of goes back to the sports movie kind of tropes of like someone's given an inspirational speech like get back on your horse yeah and and i really enjoyed that and i mean i think knowing that it is a sports movie once it started i was fine with a lot of i was fine with those tropes i was i was on board to like let me see where this journey takes me um even though i you know i don't really know much about the racing side so I thought that was really cool and I agree that it really kind of pulls that thread of, you know, either redemption or proving yourself, whether it's to your past, you know, your ancestors, like maybe things you think you have to prove yourself against or in like Harold Shelby's case, proving um, everyone wrong because everyone wrongly assumed that he stopped racing because he just lost his nerve and that he couldn't do it anymore. So for him, it was about showing them like, no, these were choices that he made. And if he chose to came back, that he has no problem kicking all their asses. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and for Henry Ford II, I think it's a really fine line that he kind of walks between, you know, the line of redemption and trying to raise back up the Ford name to its former glory while also forging your own path and making your own legacy because Ford had its niche, right? The middle America, everyday car you're going to see anywhere you go, but branching off into this new way to bring up the Ford name through the supercar racing. So that was an interesting tightrope that that character had to walk between redemption and forging your own path. And the theme of legacy also comes up with Ken Miles. You know, the driving motivation for him and his character is, you know, leaving something for his family and his son and his wife. Uh, at the time, at the beginning of the movie, he's just working in a auto repair shop, just as your kind of average everyday uh, automotive man. He is repairing a supercar and kind of tossing insults at this guy. It's not a supercar, it's a sports car, but uh, tossing insults at this guy who comes in and asking him why it's not working right. And he's pretty much just tells him it's because you don't know how to drive a car. But this is a man who is a racer himself and he drives supercars and he's stuck at his own auto shop and doesn't really have any path forward, right? So when he's given this chance from Carroll Shelby and really the Ford Motor Company, though, even at first they didn't want him to be the driver of the car, it's kind of a decision he has to make between his own pride and ego, racing the way he wants to, and being a company man, yet leaving behind a legacy that his son and wife will be proud of. One thing I missed in the Ken Miles storyline was I wanted to see how Carol Shelby and Ken met. 
Because all of a sudden, they're in each other's lives. He's racing for Carol. But there's no like, okay, they were both in the same circles. Maybe they competed against each other. I want a little bit of more of their history. Because another through line for this film is their friendship. You know, they have certainly have some ups. They have some real big downs as well. But they have a lot of respect for each other. And there is a friendship there at the end. But I wanted to know where that came from. I wanted to go a little deeper. Yeah, I agree, especially considering the end of the movie in which Ken Miles decides to eschew personal glory for the sake of aligning with what Ford wants to do. And he does it because he realizes how much Carol Shelby has done for him throughout the course of the movie and maybe even before. But to your point, Malika, we don't see a lot of that foundational work. Like we obviously know that they're comfortable with each other. I mean, we're introduced to the two characters relationship where they're at some amateur race and uh, Ken in a fit throws a wrench at Carol's head because he's mad about something. And so there's clearly something there because I don't think any man would just let some other guy throw a wrench at his head and let that go. Uh, So yeah, it would have been nice to see. And I think that kind of just goes back to the fact that you know we don't get a lot of Matt Damon, uh, Carol Shelby's personal life, right? So we don't fully understand what's motivating him outside of the fact that he can no longer race. Right, next to nothing. That's the only thing we know. It's significant, yes. But considering how much more we get fleshed out from Ken, from even Henry Ford II, we understand a little bit more about them at a personal level. It would have been really nice to get a little bit more of that insight into Carol Shelby. I think the closest we get is when he delivers a speech at the Ford um, unveiling of the, um, what was it? The, it wasn't the GT. No, it was a Ford Mustang. It was a Ford Mustang. Yeah, the unveiling of the new Ford Mustang. Um, and he tells a story about his dad and, you know, kind of like, you know, what my papa said kind of thing. So that's really the only intrinsic motivation you can pull from Carol outside of the fact that he's really good at what he does and he's kind of compelled to keep doing it, which again, it it is an incredibly important factor, but I feel like there could have been a lot more delivered. Right. And at that speech, he says, some of us are lucky to have something that we love to do. And then there are others of us that have something that we have to do. And he's essentially at that speech, giving the speech to Ken Miles, knowing that they're on the same page Carol has to build these cars and Ken knows that he has to race them because it makes them who they are, which provides a little bit of character insight. But really, you know, this movie is carried by the cool story. There's not a whole lot of depth to all these characters. Some of the characters have more depth than others. Weirdly enough, Henry Ford, who's not the main character, you get the most motivation out of him and Enzo Ferrari. They're kind of rivalry. Enzo is insulted that his car company that he has been chasing perfection himself for so many years is going under and he has to sell it. And he gets approached by this Ford American company who makes boring, ugly cars, according to him. And they're trying to buy his, you know, beautiful pieces of art. And so that's the rivalry that's kind of under the scenes. You don't see a whole lot of them, which I feel like you kind of miss out on. No, I absolutely agree. And I think that kind of comes back to something else that's a bit of a through line through the movie, which is the kind of culture clash, right, of the Italian, beautiful, handcrafted theme that you get from Ferrari. And it's a very, like, sexy brand. And it's very well-respected in in the racing circles. Whereas, obviously, for Ford, this is not a space they've been in before. They are kind of considered, you know, a little over the hill. I mean, any company that's existed for over 60 years, that's a significant amount of time to exist. And unless you are actively doing work to remain innovative and to remain current, of course you're going to 
become stale. So it totally makes sense. But it's so funny because I feel like at the time in which the movie takes place, which is the late 60s, it's kind of that counterculture era of we're no longer looking towards the mom and pop ideals of the 40s and 50s, that post-war era, and there's a new world emerging. But you still get that sense of the American exceptionalism, right? Like driving, like we have to be the best. Like if we're not the best, what are we? And there's nothing wrong with being second place in a multi-trillion dollar industry, but just the ego of these people and the and the need to be the best and to, for everyone to know that they're the best, it's what's at the heart of what's going on here. I wish we could have seen a little bit more from Ferrari because it's called Ford versus Ferrari, but it's really all about Ford. and It's Ford versus Shelby. And Miles, right? But the Italians and Ferrari end up being reduced to caricatures in some ways. For example, the Italian driver, you just kind of see him in like while Miles is driving by him, you get like glimpses of him in um, the car window, but he's kind of just like has like this evil smirk, but that's it. It's, you know, I expected him to... Might as well have been twisting a mustache. I was just about to say that. Like I was about to, you know... I wanted him to grow a mustache so that he could twirl it. That's what it felt like. There was definitely, in a two and a half hour movie, there was room there to at least develop a little bit of the competition, right? Show us why this is such an achievement. See, this is making me form my opinion on this movie, make it crystallize a little bit more because it feels like this movie has all of the structure of a really great movie, but none of the connecting lines yes, that like really... like the connective tissue is yeah, just not there. Because like you were saying with the relationship between Shelby and Miles, why were they such great friends? Especially, we haven't really touched on Leo Beebe at all, um, played by Josh Lucas, but he's this Ford executive who's job is essentially to make life hell for Shelby and he hates Miles he doesn't want him to be the driver that wins the races and represents Ford on the podium and all he's doing is being a dick to them the whole time and trying to make life harder and trying to get Miles out of the driver's seat yet the whole time Shelby is going to bat for Miles saying he is helping me build this car he knows it better than anyone and he's the best driver for this car Is that really just the motivation? Is that all it is? Is that he knows the car better than anyone and he helped to make it and that's why he needs him? Or is it something more? It seems like there's something more, especially because when Leo Beebe is the one who gives the order that they have to cross the line together and both Shelby and Miles seem to have an indication that we're getting screwed here in some way. They didn't quite put it two and two together that he actually would finish second instead of first, but they kind of knew that he was trying to screw him over. Yet Miles still makes the decision at the end, I'm going to do this to save Shelby's ass in the eyes of the Ford Motor Company. So why does he make that decision? Is it because he went to bat for him just to be the driver at the Le Mans? There's no like substance really there. You want it to be there and you're looking for it. Why is it there? But you don't really get the backstory as to why they have this dedication to one another. And I think that's why we lose that goosebumps moment too, because there is this incredible sacrifice Miles makes. But I remember thinking like, why is he doing this? It was very unclear. Because also the way they shot that moment where Miles is like, okay, now I'm going to slow down. I'm going to do what, what Leo Beebe wants me to do, what Ford wants us to do. But they make the scene 
so similar to the beginning of the movie where Shelby is driving that same exact race and everything narrows down. He can only see the road, but that's because he's, he's having sweating. Well, he's, he's having, having like a, a heart hot, attack or something's yeah, happening like to his high, body. I don't know. So clear. because they kicked off the movie with that scene and filming it that way. When, you know, it happened to Miles, I was like, oh my God, is he going to, this is how he's going to die. I knew he was, he was toast. There was oh, no yeah, way he was going to survive. He was a goner the whole You know, like, mm. that's the reason they're making this movie. Someone's going to die. I was like, either Shelby or, or Miles. I knew it. I was, I, you know, I had the tissues out. I was ready to go. Wait, you brought tissues? No. <laughs> I had the napkin, you know, from all the greasy popcorn. But still, you know, I had something ready. But <laughs> the point is, like, because they did that parallel, it kind of, like, took you out of it a little bit. And then... You're like, wait, wait, why is he doing this? Okay, so he is doing it for Shelby, but we don't really know enough about Shelby. Like, does he deserve your loyalty, Miles? You're the one who has a wife and a kid to feed. You know, the IRS have come for your garage. Like, this is life or death for you. Is it for Shelby? We don't know. Yeah. They don't tell us that. Yeah, and just to the point of setting up Miles' death, they have some red herrings with like when seven. he gets in a crash. <laughs> Three and, red herrings, at <laughs> least. Yeah, the, he gets in a crash, and they say, oh, if you get stuck in the car, that's really the only way you die with these flame retardant suits. And then when they start the race, his door won't close, so they slam it shut with a sledgehammer. So I was on the same page. I was like, this car is going to blow up. He's going to get stuck. But then it just kind of ended. You're kind of led to the edge of this cliff. Then it just kind of slowly backs away. Guys, I got it. They get off from being withholding. That's it. That's the movie. We cracked it. We figured it out. That's the theme. (laughs) But you're so right, Malika. I feel like when you have these sports movies and you get built up to that big goosebumps moment, it's because you understand the emotional heart of the characters. You know, it kind of brings you back to like something like Remember the Titans. And I mean, such a good movie. I mean, obviously, yeah. (laughs) But I mean, it could be the subject matter, right? Like it's obviously a more emotionally fraught subject, you know, about race and race relations at a time where those were incredibly at the forefront in American society. Plus it's a subject matter. I think that maybe more people in America can relate to than racing, but I still think they did the work in a movie like that to make you feel for the characters, feel for the people that you didn't like that much even, and understand why they made the decisions that they did understand, you know, why the conflict resolved the way it did. And for this movie, it just felt like, Oh wait, you were you just trying to subvert expectations in, in doing this because it didn't really pay off. And then when he did die, I was just like, well, that sucks. And <laughs> remember the Titans is a great example to compare to this just because remember the Titans really, when you watch it from like an objective viewpoint, it's a super cheesy movie. Like some of the lines are really over the top of how sappy they are. The and dance sequence. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> I don't know you, what you're talking about. <laughs> well, and at the end, you know, okay, the Titans are down. They're going to win. This is a Disney movie, but it, that moment when it happens, it still has the payoff of yeah, an awesome yeah. sports moment where this one is a little bit more complex of a story, more nuanced, but it doesn't have that. It's not that earned at the end. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure. Remember the Titans took a lot more creative liberties. I think it was really important. Yeah, to that the movie filmmakers. is like 20% based on a true story. <laughs> Probably. That's but I think it's really important to the filmmakers of this film to, to stay as close to what really happened. And so sometimes it's just, the truth isn't as interesting as if you could just add some flourishes. Because I I remember reading that um, they watched the film with some of the I think the it was like the Miles family, is, yeah like, Miles Ken Miles right it was Miles' son and a granddaughter and like they were really proud of the depiction of the movie so there was clearly people they were trying to please but 
it has to be a balance. And at times they sacrifice sticking too close to the truth for, you know, what could have been a more interesting film. Right. It's an interesting balance between based on a true story and sticking to the true story and taking some creative liberties for the sake of the audience to make it more heartfelt or grandiose. Yeah. Especially if they are trying to reach a larger audience, right? Because there's not a problem, obviously, if you want to target this movie towards racing fans and people adjacent to that world, that's totally fine. Like, you should be able to make movies for anyone. But it kind of seems like they're marketing this a movie that anyone would see. And I just don't know if the average moviegoer would be like, yeah, I'm going to invest two and a half hours to see this movie about racing people. And then it doesn't really pay off in the ways that you would think that it would pay off. Like, it's not bad at all. And we think, you know, we'll get into performances later the performances were really great, but to Will's point earlier, it, it's not more than the sum of its parts. It's a bunch of good components, but it doesn't necessarily add up to a great movie-going experience that you is super memorable and that you would come back to again, because I don't think I would. So we spent a lot of time kind of criticizing this movie, but I think in general, we all liked it at least. Clay, do you want to get into what you found pitch perfect about this movie? Yeah, actually, so, yeah, we had such a good point. We are kind of bashing on this movie a bit, but I think it's more, I get so disappointed when a movie gets close to being great. I'm more disappointed in that than when a bad movie just sucks because it, it at least aligned closer to my expectations. So probably just me having too high of expectations. Um, but I think one thing the movie did really well that was maybe a little understated was the score. And so just the underlying music to the moments, especially where there was a race happening, because, you know, racing is, it's a very kind of intrinsic experience, right? Like, I mean, I don't watch NASCAR or Daytona or anything like that. So I don't know if maybe technology has advanced to the point where there's a lot more emphasis on what's happening inside the car with the driver, but you're kind of on the outside looking in. That's the nature of the sport. You're not really seeing the nuance of how talented these people are in achieving what they're doing in the same way that you would with something like football, where you can see the different mechanisms at play and like, oh, this guy moved to the left. So that allowed space. Like you can kind of visualize a little bit better, I think with other sports, like how much effort and planning and talent goes into being the best. And at least for me, I don't get that with racing. So I thought it was really great that in the moments where you were inside the car or you were tight to the car, the score was very understated, but it had the heartbeat of the moment. I think there's a point um, when Ken Miles is racing, I think Daytona, where there's like this almost heavy metal guitar-esque kind of moment to it because you can tell he's like amping up because they were kind of losing the race in the beginning. And then I think... um, Carol Shelby's like, fuck it, hit it, like, floor it, floor it, go to 7,000 RPM. And then Camel's like, let's do this. And it's kind of like that amped up moment. You're like, yeah. It was just so great. And in those quieter, kind of reflective moments in the car, like in the beginning, where you see Carol Shelby kind of zoning out when he's racing Le Mans. And again, at the end with, with Miles, when he kind of has his come to Jesus moment, the music is just right at the balance like it's just right under the current it's never overpowering um and i think they did a really good job at least for me keeping me engaged in those more internal quieter moments where there's no dialogue there was very little sound design to kind of keep you intrigued and keep you engaged with the emotion of what was going on yeah and you bring up a good point if there are any places where the goosebump moments happen i think it's when there are parts of the two races we see daytona and Le Mans, where both times, and actually at the beginning, there's a smaller race where we yeah, first see first Ken race. Miles driving. They're going back and forth, cutting between Ken Miles in the car and Carol Shelby on the side. And Carol Shelby saying, Not yet, not yet, 
not yet. And then a little space opens. He says, now hit it. And, you know, it's like they're communicating telepathically because that's when Ken Miles punches it up and zooms past someone. And that's something that you bring up a good point. They do a really good job of. It's hard from I don't watch any automotive racing either, but to get that skill and inside of the cockpit, if you will, of those vehicles, seeing kind of knowing when to punch it up, when you have to slow down, taking the turns and seeing more of the skill that goes into the driving and that it's more than just driving around a racetrack. There's a lot more that goes into it and they do it, do a good job of playing that up. But Will, if you made this movie, what would you have changed? So you touched on it earlier, but what I would have done differently is I wanted more of the Ford versus Ferrari part of it. Ferrari. Uh, Ferrari. But the movie's called Ford versus Ferrari, and we spend a good 95% of the movie just with Ford and Carol Shelby and their kind of back and forth. You know, the implication, at least my understanding, is there was more of a competition going between them. And obviously, Ferrari knows what Ford is trying to do because they go there in person to try and buy Ferrari from them. And so announce it. Yeah, they announce it to the world. And actually something I missed until later in the movie. So you talked about the 90 days they have until the Le Mans race. So this actually takes place over the course of a couple years because they do the first Le Mans race. They don't win. And then the second year they try to improve, right? Because that's when they go to Ford and they have the speech of saying, you know, they're Shelby tells Ford that there's all these levels of executives and handoffs before anything reaches Ford's approval. And that's when he locks him in the car and drives him around really fast and gets Ford crying. Great moment, though. Great moment. And saying, like, this is what this car does. This is how it's different. This is why I need your total buy-in. So that's over the course of a year. And so between that first Le Mans race and the second one at the end, there has to be some sort of intel on the Ferrari side about what Ford is trying to do. And, you know, more of the duplicity of the struggle to build the best car. We only see Ferrari at the very beginning and then during the race and at the end. And even during the race, they're just a side character. They don't really have any characterization or there's no real struggle between the two parties. Right. You could have just renamed this movie Shelby versus BB, right? It didn't yeah. need to be Ford versus Ferrari. Well, those aren't two powerful brands. You no, see I mean, it's a much sexier name seats. for sure. It is. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we would have all seen Shelby versus BB no. in theaters. Yeah. No, well, I totally agree. Um, I would have loved to have seen more of the back and forth, maybe a little corporate espionage. I feel like it would have been really interesting that in the moments you see uh, Shelby and Miles and their team kind of struggling or, or achieving something, you get insights into what's going on with Ferrari because Ferrari's not the kind of guy that's resting on his laurels, right? Like that's the whole reason he went broke because he built a car and he's like, well, this one Le Mans, I got to build another car. And he won like four or five years in a row. So he clearly knows what he's doing. Right. So it would have been really cool to get a little bit of insight into the Italian characters and the little bit of time we did get with them in the beginning, I really enjoyed. Um, it was weird though because they only had the subtitles on sometimes and they were yeah, almost always weird. speaking Italian. Yeah. So 
I get that, you know, that can all, that can often be a choice of not wanting the audience to know something that the characters don't, but it didn't really seem to serve that purpose. So it would have been really cool if we had spent more time with them and getting the subtitles because they seemed hilarious, first of all. <laughs> right. We get a little bit of that when there's the photographer taking photos and then he runs over to Fiat um, to get a better offer from them. I mean, if only we could have gotten deeper there, like just the tip yeah. of the iceberg was so yeah. funny and interesting. Yeah. It felt like a Guy Ritchie movie to me in those moments of like the guy in a sleek Italian turtleneck running through the streets of Modena, Italy. I was like, I want this movie. Right. And <laughs> even during the Lamar race, which is 24 hours, like we've said, and at one point, Henry Ford II gets in a helicopter and leaves in the middle of the race. And you get a line from Enzo Ferrari that's like, oh, typical Ford can't stand to watch the whole race. Even there is like a tiny grain of a back and forth difference between the two owners of the two companies, but it makes you want more like what. So that's what Ford does. He leaves in the middle of the race. What's Ferrari like? What's his driving motivation for this? Damn. I I wish I got the movie you're talking about. (laughs) We're missing out. Uh, So Malika. Fun yes, facts. Well? Okay, let's see. You have to use two, I think, because the last <laughs> yeah. the last one didn't really have any fun facts because it wasn't fun. Um. Ooh. Let's see. Oh yes. So I mentioned earlier that there's this balance between what really happened and making a poetic ending for the film. And Ken Miles does die at the end, and it's very sad. It's only two months after he gets second place. And the way they show it in the film is that he gets stuck in the car. He's not able to get out. And that's why he dies. And that's why the other beats earlier that Will mentioned where the, the car door is stuck or the, another car hits him and you think, okay, this is when he's going to die. This is when he's going to, this is when he's going to die. And then when he finally does get stuck, like this is like a poetic ending, right? And it brings the whole thing full circle. They make it look like it's driver error that leads to Miles' death. But in reality, people think that it actually was a fault in the car, the way it was made. And that's what catapulted Miles out of the car and and ultimately led to his death. Either way, super tragic, super sad. He never got his triple crown. He never got to officially win the Le Mans like he deserved to. Um, Yeah. And it's another one of those. Not it's kind of sad. Somehow less fun than the last. God, are these sad facts of Malika now? <laughs> but the, the it's interesting because they do set up that car failure red herring again throughout the movie, where the brakes are failing in multiple races on the racetrack, and so in the Le Mans race, the brakes fail again on the Ford GT, and they pull in, and rather than just replacing brake pads or tires, they replace the entire braking system. And there's a little bit of back and forth with the Ferrari team who's in the stall next to him saying, you can't do that. And they say, oh, show me anywhere in this rule book where it says we can't replace the entire braking system. But once again, that's another thing where it's a through line throughout the movie. And then when it comes to kind of the main climax conflict point about the braking system and what they can replace during the race, they just kind of do it and then it drops and there's no resolution or big conflict about it. It never comes up again. So it's just kind of back to what we were saying. There are these, these points throughout the movie that make you think they can make a great story out of this, but it just kind of falls flat. Yeah. And I get why they felt the need to include Ken Miles's death to kind of round out the story, but I feel you could have almost chalked off that in the last 10 minutes and it wouldn't have changed almost anything 
about the the nature and the resolution of the movie because all that it results in is Matt Damon feeling sad. Yeah. And me crying. It could have been. Lot. We could have saved Malika's tears here, guys. They had at the end a, you know, as all based on a true story movies have the blurbs of what happened to the characters afterwards or what happened in the story after what we see on screen ends. And if anything, that could have just been a Ken Miles tragically died a few months later because I didn't think that moment was anything too powerful. You kind of saw it coming. So there wasn't, it just had a lot of great buildup, but not really a lot of great payoff throughout the movie. I think this movie also struggled having two major movie stars in it because while the story was really about Shelby, there's a lot more character development for Miles. And then it could have ended when the race ended with Miles, but then you get, you know, another 15, 20 minutes with Shelby to show, oh, he's human. He cares about his friend. So I think that there was this struggle for the filmmakers to make sure both of their stars had enough screen time. And I wonder if that's why this movie is so long. And that's actually a nice segue into our J.B. Smoove Award. For those who don't remember, we give the J.B. Smoove Award to the person, place, or thing that doesn't feel like it quite fits in the movie or felt like it was from a different movie. And we decided that the J.B. Smoove Award goes to Ken Miles' wife in this movie because we spent a lot of time with Ken Miles and his family, like you were just saying, Malika, a lot of personal struggle with them, but there really wasn't a lot of struggle there was a lot of time with his wife and his kid and they have a ton of screen time, but it didn't really feel like it added a whole lot to this movie. Ken Miles' wife has a ton of screen time, but we're not really sure why per se, you know, if it's to make Ken more relatable, otherwise he kind of would have just been an eccentric dick a little bit. And it makes him a family man, a loving husband, but it doesn't tie into the rest of the story. It has no effect on how his character really acts in the story. It's something that he could have tied into the end of the race. You know, he tries to um, slow down and have all three Fords cross at the same time to set an example for a son or because his wife was saying, you know, you need to be more of a team player or something, but there really wasn't any of that. It's why was so much emphasis put on his family? This is going to sound super cynical, but I think it's to make the death at the end hurt so much more. I mean, I started crying when I saw a wrench. A wrench has never made me cry before. And it was so powerful because Matt Damon's character gives the wrench to his son. And you're like, this is the, you know, the wrench that he threw at my head. And it's such a, a silly thing. But oh, it was just like a beautiful moment. And it only served to make Ken Miles' death a little bit more tragic. I completely agree. So like I said, if you didn't include the death, that entire last 15 minutes would have been a tighter movie. I don't think we'd have lost anything, but maybe Matt Damon would have had a little less screen time. So, eh, you know, I think it's a good movie, but is it a great movie? You right. Know? And I think it ties back to, we keep on saying it's such a cool story, the story of Ford versus Ferrari, but the movie has to distinguish at some point whether the movie is just purely about the story of the race and the struggle between the two companies or if it's about the characters. And it seems like the directors decided the story isn't enough. We need to add something, but there really wasn't enough of a something there to carry the weight of the emotional aspect of this movie. So I think it's time to wrap it up and for each of us to give our ratings of this movie. I can go first. As I said, this was a pretty solid film. Uh, the acting was 
solid. The direction was solid. There were definitely places it could have improved. So I'm going to give this a three out of five wrenches thrown at heads. Yeah, I feel really similarly, Malika. Um, I think I liked the direction a couple elements a little bit more. Um, but I would still give this maybe a 3.25 out of five discarded racing trophies. Um, I think you, some of the things we've already touched on, it could have been a lot tighter of a movie. I mean, and think entirely plots could have been removed in favor of the Ferrari um, uh, segment and getting to know them a little bit more. I mean, I did enjoy it. Will I revisit it? No. Do I care about it getting nominated for any awards? Not really. It was fine. Yeah, I'm going to give this 2.5 out of 5 for GTs because essentially echoing what you guys just said, I think they chose to go with the Miles family aspect over the struggle between the Ford and Ferrari companies. And I think that didn't really pay off. I think it would have been a better sports movie because like we've been saying, it's really a sports movie to show the two sides, the two teams and you know their competition between the two of them and it just didn't really work for me i think my summary of it would be it has all of the parts of a supercar but when you put them together it makes a ford fiesta i laugh but i have no idea if that's an insult or not oh it's it is an insult also the pinto another a ooh, pinto. this could be a fun fact actually the ford pinto was overseen by the one and only lee iacocca Oh, terrible I car. Know, next terrible to car. Nothing about cars, so. yeah. It's a historically it bad it. car. Yeah. yeah. So, All of those Top Gear fans out there should watch the episode of the Ford Pinto done by the Top Gear. Sponsor yes. us. Top Gear. Top Gear. <laughs> Hashtag Top Gear. Yeah. And I think, too, so, you know, ultimately, ironically enough, this is a more of a plane movie than anything else. If I was on a long flight, I was a little bored, maybe a little drunk. Didn't know what to watch. Came across it. I give it a I give it a whirl. But would I pay for it? No. Would I even watch it on Netflix? Probably not. Yeah, I have no desire to watch this again. Nope. But you know, Christian Bale get that Oscar nom. You deserve yeah. it. Christian Bale did a he great, was great job. He was, he was really great. good. He's a, a phenomenal actor. But also, stop losing and gaining weight for movies so quickly. It's not healthy. It's not healthy. Well, thanks for joining us. Tune in next time. See you. Bye. Bye.